good. We're going to record this morning uh, for home viewers, okay? <laughs> uh, but um, what a real treat, and thank you guys so much for, for um, your interest in, in this morning. So, uh, as Bonnie said, you know, uh, with Catherine and myself as parents of four boys and Monty and Tanya as parents of four girls, you've been dealing with amateurs. And this morning you get to deal with professionals, and you've been kind enough to submit some questions. And so, kind of to start, we're going to roll with those questions that you all have submitted, and hopefully they'll be informational. And then, if we have time at the end, we'll take questions from the audience. Okay? Not questions for me, but questions for Dr. Anna. <laughs> uh, so, Dr. Anna, first, tell this group a little bit about your family, and because. Okay. You're a parent and a grandparent, so mm -hmm. tell them about, a little bit about your family. Um, well, I have three children, two girls and a boy. Um, the girls, well, my first child when she was born was, you know, that perfect child. And I thought I was, oh, I was such a great parent. Mm -hmm. I didn't know why all those parents were struggling. <laughs> and uh, she just did everything right. I never had to punish her. When she was 12, she said, Mom, all my friends have been grounded. Could you just ground me? I said, sure. So, <laughs> so that was my life with Julie. And then uh, Thomas, though, humbled me as a parent. Um, it was very difficult. He was um, a child with ADHD and dyslexia. So I learned most of my parenting through experiences with him. And really, he's the reason that I went the direction I did, just because I felt such um, that that was really such a mission for me, and I do look at it as a mission because I think it, uh, it. I have such passion for working with students who struggle. And my last child was born, and she's kind of in between the two. She can get in trouble, but you know she's more easily redirected. So that's. And I apologize. And how many grandchildren? Have seven, six. Uh, six boys, and we finally had a girl this last um, March. Yeah. So uh, there's no PA system in here, and the, the, the air conditioning is a little bit loud, so we're going to have to really project to hear, for, for those to hear in the back, but we can do it. So first, let's define what a learning disability is mm -hmm. or a learning difference mm -hmm. is for the audience. How are they diagnosed, mm -hmm. and what percentage of children have them? Uh, well, in terms of diagnosing, if you suspect your child is struggling, and there are a number of places you can go to look at specifics on what would be some criteria to look for, but your child is struggling in school, learning to read, or just struggling in general, I would start with your pediatrician and just make sure there's not any vision, any health reason, vision problem, hearing problem, anything like that and if there's not a physical then I would go to the school at that point and just say what are you observing with my own son I was director of special ed in the school where he was in school and so his first grade teacher was my very best friend so when she and I were talking she said Jane just wait he's a boy let him grow up in my heart I knew that he was struggling. I knew because when I would read with him at night, it was a struggle for him to read the words. So um, she taught, believe it or not, she taught me out of me having him tested that first grade year. Um, I did the next year 
because I knew it was needed. And so we did a complete psych ed to figure out what was going on and it was a learning disability as well as ADHD. So start there. You can go to your school. Um, now the way the law reads is that if I had a parent come to me in the school where I was and they said my child was struggling, we tested. Now with the changes in the law and the RTI, that's not the first step. They want to begin with you getting some help within your public school and then if that doesn't work, then they would test. Um, and there are some very good interventions they can do at that point, but it needs to be a professional who understands learning disabilities, a school psychologist or someone private at that point that you know could determine where the strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, we do use the term in our school, learning difference, as opposed to learning disability, but in the public school, you have to use the term disability or you don't get services. Um, so, but that's a trick for there. So, so elaborate on that just for a second. Why, why have you all chosen, and you all taught us, our family the language, learning difference as mm -hmm. opposed to learning different disability? Um, it actually started with a student who came in the school and he said, I don't have a learning I don't have a disability. I can do this. It just I just need to learn a different way. So we started referring to it as a learning difference, that I need a different way to learn this material or I need more explicit instruction in order to learn that material. Um, it's more than a learning style. All of us have learning styles. We have a preferred learning style. That does not mean you're struggling but we referred to it as a learning difference and I think the students there there are times and most I would say many times it occurs around fourth grade if you've had a child struggle at that point they will start saying I'm just dumb I'm just stupid why can't I do this and no matter how many times you as a parent say to them you are smart you can do this, you're their parent, and they'll say, well, mom, you're just my mom. You're supposed to say that, and they don't believe it. Um, one of the things I've learned through the last few years, and they've really done a lot of research on it, um, Carol Dweck at, out of Cal Stanford has done a lot of work on um, what kind of mindset you have, and she really stresses we should not be saying things to our children in terms of reinforcing them by saying, you are really smart, and that sounds crazy. But what they found was when they would take kids in and do tests, if you praise them for their abilities, I am smart, that's out of their control or they feel like it's out of their control. It's better to praise them for the amount of work and the amount of effort and how hard they tried and um, all of that piece because that's within their control. And what they found in their clinic was if parents had praised their children, you're smart, and they were given a problem that was pretty easy, and then the person who was testing them said, oh, you're so smart, you did that so quickly. The next time they were more likely to choose something that was easy for them to do, as opposed to the student who was praised for that, you know, I know that was really hard, but you worked extra hard and you accomplished this. They were willing to take a risk and try something that was much harder. Um, so 
just, I think that's real helpful as parents not to just get stuck on those kinds of words. In terms of how many people, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, if you ask, if you look at the public school data, the number of kids who are diagnosed is about 5%. Um, in Tennessee, in the last five years, actually the number of students who were diagnosed with learning disabilities by the schools decreased, um, which I thought was interesting. But if you talk to the public and those who are doing research just in general with everyone, the numbers can go up as high as 20%. One in five children may struggle learning to read or one aspect of learning disability. So that, in that uh, explanation, Dr. Hanna gave one of the first books that I would ask you to add to your, your reading list. Um, it's from Carol Dweck, a researcher at Stanford. It's called Mindset. Some of you who are in business have heard about it. It is a very highly regarded book from leading research that she's put out. And so uh, it's interesting because it's in the category of applied uh, science, but it's really kind of a business team organization book, Harold Dweck Mindset. So second question, <clears throat> is learning, is a learning difference or a learning disability a sign of low intelligence? No, absolutely not. Uh, in, in fact, Carol Dweck even says that um, <coughs> if a student has the mindset that they can make changes, that they can actually improve their IQ score. I mean, she's of that mindset where um, we think that. But it is not, uh, that could be something else. It could certainly be a learning problem if a child has a lower IQ. But in terms of us diagnosing a learning disability, we typically look at that as a child with average or above intelligence. Sometimes I think that those children who are way above average may actually struggle more than those who are average because they, they know in their mind that I should be getting this. Why am I not getting this? It's easy for my brother or it's easy for my sister. Why is it so hard for me? Um, and at some point, the family needs to understand that condition. It's interesting because you're alluding to it, but sometimes these children develop these workarounds mm -hmm. and they almost overcompensate in their workaround, mm -hmm. right? And so right. some of these kids have gone on to become incredible pioneers or leaders mm -hmm. because of the workarounds yeah. they've developed. Yeah. yeah, you can go to, there's a website that was begun about 18 months ago <clears throat> by the National Council for Learning Disabilities and it's called understood.org and it's developed for parents of students with anything from dyslexia, any kind of learning disability, ADHD, executive function, and you can even type in something specific for your child. My child is struggling with um, learning the letters, the sounds for the letters. And you can type that into their search engine and they will actually give you specific advice for you. Every piece of information on that website has been vetted, so it's not something that, you know, people just come up with and write on there. A, an expert has to vet everything that's on that website. Um, but in that, you can even find, I'd like to learn about famous people who have ADHD or who have learning disabilities. 
and they will have a link to that where you can read about Whoopi Goldberg. In fact, I think Whoopi Goldberg is going to be on one of their websites this month sometime, either this month or in May, and it's a free webinar, and they'll have webinars all the way through that you can attend free. Um, it's a very helpful website for families, so I'd encourage you to look at that. So once you know you have your child, know that your child has a learning difference or learning disability at a high level, conceptually mm -hmm. speaking, what are the strategies that you use to mm -hmm. help the child? Okay. I look at strategies a little different. When I have a young child, the major focus of what we're going to be doing is instructional intervention. And what I mean by that, you, there was a, a back in my early days in special ed, the theory was that you, learned, you taught a child to read through their strengths. And we found out that really didn't work for kids who had dyslexia. So in the early years, particularly up through fourth grade, sometimes even beyond, if they started intervention late, you work on instructional interventions. What works? If a child has dyslexia, we know what kind of program actually works for that child, typically in Orton-Gillingham. Um, this week I just tested one of the uh, little girls in the lower school. We do testing at the end of the year, and when she came into kindergarten, she did not know letter names, she didn't know sounds to associate with that. It was so difficult for her. I was actually absolutely amazed. She's now at the end of second grade, and by working on those instructional interventions where she is today, I mean, she's actually scoring in the average in every area and even above in some. So the earlier you can start intervention, the better. Um, so those are instructional interventions. Then you have accommodations, and those are those strategies that you develop. Um, we use a lot, we call uh, strategy uh, development for reading, SRSD, self-regulated strategy development. And it's actually um, strategies on how to teach children to write. Writing is a process, so it's not something you just uh, write more and you'll get better. It doesn't work for kids with learning disabilities. Writing more isn't the answer. So we would work on strategies, on organization, on planning, and then getting a strategy. You have to be taught strategies too. You don't just pick them up. Um, then there are other ones, accommodations or modifications. Modifications are where you actually reduce work. Now that doesn't make it any better. You're not getting any better at it. They're just reducing work typically because a child may have a processing disorder where they're slow in processing the information or in getting output. So sometimes modifications would work for those kids. Um, if you give a typical kid 25 problems to do at night, a modification for a child with slow processing might be that he would do every other one or something like that. Um, I don't personally don't like to go to modifications if you're giving meaningful homework, but sometimes you need to if a child's processing speed. Um, I read a report not too long ago, if you know about IQs, 100 is average. Anything between 85 and 115 is that average range. This little boy was in middle school 
and had, uh, his IQ was in the 120 range, so it was extremely bright. His processing speed was 48. That, when you think about that, I mean, 120, way above the norm, and 48. I mean, it wasn't his IQ, but it was how slow he was processing information. Well, he needed significant modifications in order to function in the classroom. <clears throat> it's so fascinating hearing these, <clears throat> the, the correct terminology, because uh, I, have, I like, you know, metaphors because I'm not as bright as Dr. Hannon. So, you know, this processing speed thing, right? Remember the days we had a 486 computer, 386, 286? So, we're talking about the processing unit. And we're talking about it being slower than other people's processors. They've got an Intel processor, I've got a 286 processor. So, I can get to the right answer. It just takes me longer mm -hmm. to get to the right answer. So, you can, you can imagine how frustrating that is for a child, right? Who can get to the right answer? They're just slower than their peers. That's what Catherine was alluding to last week in the time test. What's interesting is <clears throat> any of us could kind of go off and have a, a soapbox about education or politics. What's interesting is sometimes the testing methodology is testing for the wrong thing, right? So uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, some of the teachers that you're, you're facing they want homework turned in, printed out. Well, at our office, nobody does that. So why couldn't you email in the homework? Well, there are some teachers who want it printed out. There's a reason why they want that, and compliance is important, but sometimes the overruling methodology, which you agree, is compliance with a teaching style or a testing style as opposed to actually testing the competency. Right. Right. And sometimes a, even a modification might be doing oral test. I've had some children who had such struggles with fine motor, if you gave them the test orally, they would score much higher than if they had to write the answers. So they knew the material, they just could not provide it in the method the teacher wanted it. I think that's so fascinating too when with a combination of Siri or Google Voice that can actually translate now. You know, we used to think that typing it out or writing out a paper was the right answer, but you know, and mm -hmm. soon the computers will be dictating for us. So just interesting how technology and the testing methodologies mm -hmm. are changing. There so, is one research study I thought was interesting that came out about, I don't know, a month or two ago, and they tested college students on the method that they would take notes and they gave them computers and they gave them paper and pencil. What do you think overall they did better and learned the material better? Paper and pencil. Paper and pencil, yeah. And now that was just with college students. What they, I guess maybe if they had the computer they were going, doing searches and stuff, not paying any attention to what they were doing. When you are typing, you tend to write, everything. Everything. Doing the step of summarization in your head when you have to take notes, which is a critical learning piece. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. We we think taking notes in a meeting at our office uh, can be obnoxious because <laughs> the, the clicking is distracting. Oh yeah. To those of us who are easily distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends. At the office. <laughs> I have some of those friends too. <laughs> yeah. So the clicking is distracting, but uh -huh. writing is. Yeah. Uh, Different, taps into a different string. 
So uh, with respect to homework, what suggestions do you have for a family who has a child with processing problems that you talked about? And homework can take a long time, mm -hmm. multiple hours. And how do you help that child not feel as though they're stupid mm -hmm. or a failure? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, when we're thinking about kids in the homework, first you want to know what the purpose is. And I'm a big believer in your homework should be not just rote writing problems. Of course, if you're in a classroom where that is the case, I would go to the teacher first and just say, you know, it's taking five hours for him to complete his work. Um, if the child is able to advocate for themselves, I think that's better. Um, my youngest daughter, when she was in sixth grade, had a math teacher. Now, she does not have a learning disability, but she had a math teacher and she was not doing well. And I knew she could do the math. And I said, she said, Mom, I just think my teacher doesn't like me. And I said, well, would you like for me to go talk to the teacher? She said, no, I think I can handle it. <laughs> so I said, okay. So she went to school, came back that day, and she said, I talked to my teacher, and he said he thought he was being unfair to me, and it ended up being her favorite teacher. So sometimes if you can help a child learn how to advocate for themselves in a very appropriate way, in terms of saying, I'm trying to do my homework, but it's taking me three hours to do this, can you help me find some ways to solve this problem? Going in like that and can you help me goes a lot further than going in and say, this is ridiculous, This home he should not have to be doing homework three hours a night. Then you put the teacher on the defensive. Uh, but I would, the teacher needs to be involved in that. Usually I find students with learning disabilities or processing speed deficit, it takes them about three times as long to complete the same homework as someone who does not have those issues. So. Yeah, and you, can you expand on the concept? You talked a little bit about it, and Catherine talked about it some last week, but <clears throat> I think there's a core value that, that you have with respect to advocation and mm -hmm. how you advocate for a child and when you advocate versus the child yeah. being an advocate for themselves. Well, when they, um, at our school, what we do is we'll start in the seventh and eighth grade where the child starts attending their own parent conferences. They don't have a role necessarily but to answer questions. In high school, they lead their conferences and that's where they learn to advocate for themselves. I've really struggled in this subject and they practice before they ever go into those parent conferences. Just to throw the child in isn't going to work in most cases. So practicing with the child, let's talk about what, what it is. If they think they're able, then I would let the child do it. Or if they say, well, I need some help, then the two of you, the parent and the child, when they get old enough, probably seventh, eighth grade, to go with you. So they learn how to uh, advocate for themselves. It is extremely important they learn that before they leave high school because when they get to college, you're not going to be there. And so if you can teach them those steps now, they're much better off when they get to college. This is such a delicate balance because, you know, we've all uh, judged helicopter parents, right? Uh, parents who are just hovering mm -hmm. too much and want to get a ribbon and a medal and a trophy for every child. 
there's there's a fine line between that and Dr. Hanna said four words that uh, my mother, who was a great salesperson, said were the most the four most powerful words in selling. Can you help me? Those are really powerful words. They're extraordinarily vulnerable. So if you can say that as an approach without judgment or without expectation, without being you know overly critical or demanding, or your child can advocate for themselves and say, can you help me? And relate the data. The data is that homework that should take an hour is taking five hours. There, there may be such an intensity there for compliance that you're missing the objective, which is what is the purpose of the homework, just as Dr. Hannah is saying, right? Right. And sometimes the kids can be very anxious um, and they just say, well, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. I don't want any special treatment. I've run into kids who would think if I use spell check, I'm cheating. That's not cheating. That's possibly putting them on the same playing field. You've seen probably the uh, talk about heard what's fair, you know, and the kids, some adults, I think, have that same third grade philosophy of it's not fair. Uh, maybe Trump does too. It's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so it's not fair. And when you you have to stop and think about it, fair and equal are not the same. What they're really saying is, I'm not getting the same equal treatment as this other person. And if you can teach, sometimes using spell check is putting you on a fair a playing field so that you can show everything you know and you're capable of doing, as well as another child who may not have a struggle in that area. Plus the pragmatist in me realizes and thinks about the fact that as soon as they graduate, spell check is gonna be there mm -hmm. anyway, right? Right, so, yep. I'm not saying they shouldn't learn to spell, yeah. but spell check will be there. You know about 67% of students eight years after they graduate from high school 67% never, they, they say they don't have a learning disability anymore. Now you don't cure learning disabilities. I mean, there is no cure. There are certain ways you can teach kids and they can be average, but there's no cure. You hear about lenses and colored lenses and medical treatments, there isn't a cure for that. I'd be real cautious about people who say, do this and you can be cured. So what makes the difference eight years after they get out of school, why don't they have a learning disability? And I think part of that is that you go into a field that uses your strengths and you don't have to rely on your differences and the part that is so difficult for you. you a child who has a dyslexia is probably not going to do real well in law you know, but they might do really well in another occupation. Yeah, I think it's amazing Charles Schwab has dyslexia. Right. You know, it's amazing mm -hmm. that someone who struggles mm -hmm. with the order of numbers and mm -hmm. letters can have such a pioneering spirit as to overcome. It's really amazing. So <clears throat> for parents uh, who have a child in the family mm -hmm. that has uh, ADHD, what about those siblings who mm -hmm. don't have that? Mm -hmm. Uh, and the frustration they feel from the ADHD child being the center of attention or getting more effort and time mm -hmm. and resources from the parent. Yeah. How do you balance that? It's hard. Let me show you a little diagram that Brown developed. And I think it's good for kids to um, not only to know themselves, but for the other 
siblings to know too. You're not making excuses. They still need chores. I'll never forget the time when Thomas was about in fourth or fifth grade. I finally decided I was going to tell him he had a learning disability because he kept saying, I'm just dumb, I'm just stupid. And I said, so I explained it. The next morning, he got up and I said, Thomas, you didn't make your bed. He said, oh, mom, I can't. I have a learning disability. <laughs> but, you know, that doesn't work. <laughs> so let me, this is, if I can get this open here. Okay, so this is something you can do with all of your kids. This is called uh, uh, circles within a square. Won't make it official. Okay. Uh, we got to get a darker one. Okay. Let's see. There, we go. there you go. Yeah. Okay. First, make a square. Now, this isn't going to be a great square. It's more like a rectangle. Okay. Let's take Jake. What are some of Jake's strengths? Uh, very warm with people. So I'm just going to put people, person, okay. What else? Um, he is uh, helpful. Okay. He's good at math. Likes girls? Yeah. That's a strength? Okay. <laughs> Do they like him? <laughs> Do what? He's Would a chick magnet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anything else you can? Compassionate. And because we've paid a lot of money for uh, language therapy, he has a great sense of humor. <laughs> He's very okay. quick-witted now. Okay. So we'll start. Years ago, he could not understand any punchline ever because of his language, but now he can. Okay, I'm just going to go with those strengths. So you start with your strengths, and you can do this with all of your kids if they're struggling at some point. Inside this square are the struggles, and these are more like, and we talked, probably his ADHD is his, the biggest factor that affects. So we're going to make his ADHD a big one. Okay. And if just to kind of keep you, ADHD is... Now, I hear, still hear some people talking about ADD. Everything is called ADHD. There are three subtypes. The inattentive type, that would be referred typical of like ADD in the past, but it's ADHD. Inattentive type or predominantly hyperactive impulsive or combined, which could mean you would be inattentive, AD, uh, impulsive, and... Um, we got it all. Yeah. You got it all. Okay. We made me that bigger. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What else? What else are some of the, you said processing, processing speed. speed. Mm -hmm. So that's probably not quite as big. Right. Well, it's the second percentile. It's the next biggest one. Okay. Um, so I'm going to interlock those. So processing speed. <coughs> what else? He has a. Language, word retrieval. Whatever that's called. Okay. I'm I'm forgetting the word for it. Okay. <laughs> Working memory and that's it. That's it. So a working memory de that's deficit. Exactly it. I'm reminded now. Okay. Working memory working. deficit, if you're not familiar with that, it's you have short term memory, long term memory, and working memory. Long term memory you can remember your first birthday party or you remember what you wore on your first date or 
your first kiss or whatever. <laughs> and then th that's your long-term memory. Your short-term memory would be something that is just, um, you know, something that happened this morning or I, I told you a telephone number and you could say it back to me. Working memory is, if you just think of it as kind of like um, your post-it note up here and you can put information on that post-it note and use it right then and then throw it away. You don't need it forever. So for example, uh, um, sometimes math problems can force you to use working memory. You've got to use it, multiply those, put them together and solve that problem, holding it right there in your memory. So these are the struggles. And if you do this, you can do this with your kid. This, these do not determine your destiny. Don't let your diagnosis determine your destiny. But you, that is a part, okay? Then you have another big square out here. That's your environment. What is in your environment that's also playing a role in this? And that could be, um, oh, we don't want to get too personal here. Um, it could be there are four boys in the family and everybody's taking up so much time. He's not the only child in the family. Um, okay, what else? What other things might play a role in all of this? Finances. Finances. Any? Only boys that follow the same path. Okay. I mean, you can put other things, I mean, not, not if you're thinking about other things, there might be um, something happen, a death in the family, or there could be um, um, if there's a divorce in the family, or if there, um, you know, a child, um, he struggles for perfection or something like that in the family. So there could be many things. The, the fewer negative influences you have out here in your environment, the better off the child is going to be to have all these strengths. I mean, how good is it to be able to sit down with your child and say, let's talk about it. And I'm, what, what do you think your strengths are? And then he can talk about that. And then these, these don't make up who you are. These all play a role in it, and these all play a role in it. But when you think about trying to figure out how can we reduce some negative influences on what happens. So I would start, um, maybe because I'm a visual person, I would start with something like that so that you can start and help a child identify where you are, just like Thomas didn't want to make his bed. That learning, he had ADHD, dyslexia, uh, and some kids have anxiety you know, pretty severe anxiety in relationship to that. So does that help you know, in terms of really just kind of looking at, a lot of therapists will use that too, but when I'm explaining to a child about their disability or their difference, I'll often do that. Um, another book that's good to help kids, other kids in the family too, is um, Sally Shaywitz's book, Overcoming Dyslexia. 
and they actually have brains in the book and what they look like when um, a child does or an adult does have dyslexia. Um, again, we're not at the point where a functional MRI could be done to say, okay, you have dyslexia. We're not at that point. But it is interesting to look at the differences and to show a child it's just that one area in the brain that's not where it should be. Unfortunately, we're <clears throat> running low time. So you are. As, as, <laughs> as we close, from your years of experience, thousands of children, how would you summarize encouragement for these parents here this morning? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing I would say that ADHD is not, you know, that or learning disabilities sh should not determine a child's destiny. I mean, you've got all of these strengths. So that would be the big issue that that's not determining the destiny. Um, that website I told you about, Understood, they also have a website on there, I meant to say, it's called um, Through Your Child's Eyes. It's on Understood, and they put you through simulations. If I have ADHD, they make you do certain things and you feel what that person feels having ADHD or a learning disability. You can have your other kids do that they're really kind of fun to put them through those exercises. Now do you understand what a learning disability is? Because you're putting through it. They have them for ADHD, different learning disabilities. They, um, they may even have one for executive function as well. Um, so what I find with executive function too is that sometimes a child who really struggles in that area, it doesn't really start affecting them until they get a little older because they have to be more independent. So you may be sailing through one through five or one through four grades and then all of a sudden something happens. A lot of times it can be executive function because they're having to do a lot of work on their own, organizing it and all that. Um, I would, if you have young children, how many of you have little bitty kids? I mean, before they get a good road kind of test you can figure out, are they going to struggle? Do exercises with them at home about word play, you know, taking words like, I'm going to say three sounds and you tell me what word I'm saying. So it would be, it's called phonological awareness, but cat, and they have to put that together to make cat or you're breaking sounds apart. If a child is really struggling with that at five, then that's something you want to start immediately and get some intervention because that's been shown to be a big predictor of kids with dyslexia. If I'd known that in kindergarten <laughs> with my son, I think it would have made a difference. I don't know, what, what else? <laughs> I'm trying to think of some other books you might be interested in. Oh, um, you asked me, I know it's time to go. This is a real good book, Rethinking Positive Thinking, and it's, um, it yeah, uh, Odinger, Odinger, um, and she uses an approach like, um, it's called WOOP, W-O-O-P, and we all talk about our children and setting goals. You can do this with adults, too. WOOP stands for, if you had a wish, what would you wish for? What would you wish? Well. I would wish this year in school that I'm going to make all A's. Or I would wish this year in school that I could turn in all my homework. So you make a wish, then the next one is, okay, what would be the outcome, W-O, outcome of that wish? 
the outcome, if I did my homework every night, oh, my mom and dad would be so happy, my teachers would be so happy, I would just feel so good about myself. Then the next O is obstacles. What are the obstacles that get in your way to meeting that goal? Well, it takes me forever to do my homework. Sometimes it's too hard and I can't do it. I don't feel comfortable going to my teachers, da, 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 naming off all the obstacles. And the last one is P for plan. Okay, you've got the wish, you want this outcome, and you um, have these obstacles. What's your plan when those obstacles get in your way? What's your plan for this year? So really kind of walking a child through it. I actually think it's a better way to do a New Year's resolution doing whoop than <laughs> doing a typical this is my resolution. But that's a good book that talks about that. Yeah. So um, I think should I be fortunate enough to get to heaven, I think that maybe you know three or four people are going to be excited that I'm there. And <laughs> I think that literally thousands of parents and children are going to be welcoming Dr. Hannah into heaven because of the way that she's dedicated her life helping parents and children and the way that she even she graciously volunteered this morning or was coerced by Catherine to come and, and to, uh, offer her time. Can you help me thank Dr. Anderson? Thank you.